Well, thank you very much for the warm welcome uh, this morning. Um, our brothers and sisters in Escort, Escort Community Church, and the Reformers are in this church in Christ. They send their love and uh, their praises uh, to you all. Uh, also, especially from my family, uh, very grateful. I want to thank you again uh, for the love that you have not only shown to our ministry, but uh, to my family uh, personally. Uh, many, many times, uh, Pastor Tim, he gets in touch with me. Um, he passes on all your love and uh, financial gifts and help, uh, especially in the uh, last couple of weeks when I needed eye surgery. Very grateful uh, for your love, uh, for me personally, and, uh, and also for our church. There are many things that are significant that are happening in our lives, in our time. Some of those things, they happen on kind of a more frequent uh, basis. Others, they happen uh, repeatedly during our time. For example, in South Africa, um, on Christmas Day, every child that is born there, they get a very special visit from the Minister of Health because it's not very often that children are born on Christmas Day. Some other things, they happen, and uh, you don't quite know if those things are going to be repeated, are going to happen again. In fact, you don't want those things to happen again. For example, uh, in a couple of years ago, we had the COVID-19. It happened, and we all hope that this was a once-off event that we'll not get to live and see again. But there's a greatest and significant event that took place more than 2,000 years ago when God became man, when God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is equal with God, who created everything, that can be seen and that cannot be seen, came down and took on human flesh. There is no significant event that matches that event. When God, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, made his dwelling here in our world, left all the glories of heaven, and took on human flesh and became like us. The one who created us, the one who is equal with God, the one who is all-knowing, the one who is present everywhere, the one who even knows the thoughts of man, left all the glories of heaven and came down to be among us. Why? Why did the Lord Jesus Christ, who is so supreme, who is so great, why did he have to come down here on earth? If you were to ask that question, you will get a number of different views. These are views that are not coming from people 
who do not ascribe to Christianity. These, these are views that come from people who claim to be Christian. Yet there is a diversity of responses when you ask them, why did Jesus come here on earth? The most prominent one in South Africa. They say that Jesus came, became man in order to bless us, to give us a good life, to make us rich and never experience any difficulty in life. That's a general view of the many, many people there where I come from. And I'm sure it is here because there are preachers here in America who are prominent, who propagate that message that Jesus came to give us a good life. If that question was posed to you this morning, why did Jesus come? How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? This is a very important question. And the way that we answer it should not come from our upbringing, should not come from our education, from no, should not come from our denomination. How we answer this question must be grounded from the scriptures. So to explore this question, we are going to do two things. We are going to look at the Gospel of Mark and look at the works that Jesus did to try and answer this question. And secondly, we're going to look at his words that he spoke so that we can figure out what it is that Jesus came to do. And I will end with a couple of implications for us. First, let's look at the Gospel of Mark. You'll have to forgive me here because I know that uh, Pastor Tim and all that preach here, they don't bounce around in the Bible. But because this is a topical message, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. If, I'm no, if you're not catching up with me and you're taking notes, you can just take the, the verses and the references down. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we read about some of the miraculous works of our Lord Jesus Christ where he cast out demons from the people that were under the possession of demons. For example, when you read Mark chapter 1, verse 23 to 26, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and there is a man there who is possessed by the demon, unclean spirit. And Jesus healed that man. The demon in verse 24 said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Again, we read in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, a man who was possessed by the demon again, he was living in the tombs, he was hurting himself. He had closed the road so that people cannot travel on that road. Again, when that man saw Jesus, Jesus healed him. And the Bible tells us he went back home in his right frame of mind. In chapter 7, we read of a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter 
was sick. In chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, we read there again that Jesus came across this uh, uh, daughter and Jesus healed her as well. And lastly, in chapter 9, verse 14 to 29, we read about a boy who had an unclean spirit tormenting him. And Jesus healed that young boy. A demon-possessed man, a man with an evil spirit, a demoniac, a Syrophoenician woman, a boy with an evil spirit, Jesus healed them all. Jesus healed them all. Now the question is, are these events new here? Have these events never happened before? The truth is that when you read in the Old Testament, someone did cast out an evil spirit by playing a harp. And his name was David. You read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 23. So the exorcism that we see here Jesus performing, it's not new. It cannot be that Jesus came to do this exorcism when someone else has already done it. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23. Again in Mark chapter 3. Uh, in verse 15, we read there that now Jesus, when he called his disciples, Mark chapter 3, verse 15, it says that uh, in verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So it cannot be that Jesus came to cast out demons because somebody else in the Old Testament cast out demons. Now he's assigning that task to his disciples to cast out demons. What about other healings? We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, again that there was a man who had leprosy. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, Jesus healed that man. We read again in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, of a man who was a paralytic. Jesus healed that man again. In chapter 5, verse 25 to 35, there was a woman with an issue of blood. That woman touched Jesus, and she was healed. We read in chapter 8 and, in chapter eight and verse 9 of the blind people that Jesus healed as well. So all of these miracles were performed by our Lord Jesus Christ. The leprosious man, the paralytic, the woman with the issue of blood, the blind people Jesus healed. Again, these healings were not unique to the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody else in the Old Testament performed. Healed someone who had leprosy. Prophet Elisha, he healed Nahum. From 2 Kings chapter 5. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. It says there. And he called to him his 12 disciples. And gave them authority over unclean spirits. To cast them out. And to heal every disease. And every affliction. So all these healings that Jesus did. Somebody did in the Old Testament. And now he is assigning that task to his disciples. So it cannot be that Jesus came to heal people. Yes, he healed them to reveal his identity as God. Those that perform these miracles, they perform those miracles because of his power that he gave to them. But it cannot be that Jesus came to do these miraculous signs because other people were able to do it on his authority. 
also in the book of Acts. Luke tells us that after Jesus had ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, they did many signs and wonders. The same is repeated in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Then this is amazing in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 12. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 12. There it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched, that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So there again we see that these signs that Jesus is performing, he gave the powers to others to be able to perform them. What about the switch of supernatural works? In chapter 4, verse 35 to 41, he calmed the storm. When the waves were raging and putting the lives of his disciples in danger, Jesus got up and said, be quiet. And the oceans, who knows the voice of Jesus who created it? It was calm. We read in chapter 5, verse 41 of Mark, where the daughter of Jairus had died. And Jesus was able to bring that daughter back to life. A miraculous sign. We also read in Mark, in chapter 6 and chapter 8, where Jesus fed multitudes and multitudes of, food, of people, where he created food out of a handful of fish and, and, and a handful of bread, performing a miraculous sign. But again, these signs, we see them in the Old Testament. Moses split the Red Sea by the staff in Exodus 14. Elisha raised the son of a woman from Shunem in 2 Kings chapter 4. And Moses fed the multitude in the wilderness with manna. So the question still remains, can we still say that Jesus came to do the supernatural works when others have already done it by his authority? It cannot be that Jesus came to do that. So what is it that Jesus came to do? Let's look at his words now. We've looked at his mighty works. Now let's look at his words. In Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, we read there that Jesus' words were so authoritative that when he called a man to say, follow me, I will now make you a fisher of man, that man abandoned their businesses right there and there and followed the Lord Jesus Christ because his words carried so much authority that there was no other way for his disciples. They just followed him. Again, listen to the words of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Remember that John the Baptist has prepared the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been baptized. He's now been tempted. And now he begins his ministry. Listen to his words that he speaks for the first time in the Gospel of Mark. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming prosperity and health and wealth. No, he came proclaiming the gospel of God. The very first word that Jesus utters in the Gospel of Mark is to proclaim the gospel. And saying in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
You don't look to look very far. You go back to chapter 16 and see what are the concluding words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says to them, this is after the resurrection. He says to them, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he opens his mouth, he proclaims the gospel, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Prior to his ascension into heaven, he proclaims, you go out and proclaim the good news to the, to the world. That's exactly what he says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Go to all the nations and proclaim the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8 after he's resurrected, prior to his ascension into heaven. He spent 40 days with his disciples. What did he do in those 40 days? Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that he spent that time teaching them not about health and wealth and prosperity. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Have a look there in Mark chapter 1 verse 38, where Jesus makes that explicit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus had healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And now the people hear about that in the village. They all come now bringing all their sick. And they can't find Jesus. And they go out. They find Jesus out there in the solitary place. And they're calling him. They say, everyone is looking for you. Listen to what Jesus says instead of going back to do more healings. In Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may heal more people. Let me preach there also, for that is why I have come. So friends, Jesus came not to give us life and health and prosperity. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Right at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Prior to his ascension, he spends that time with his disciples, teaching them about what that looks like, preaching the gospel to the nations. So friends, <coughs> there is the purpose. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came into this world because you and I have offended God. You and I were created by God, perfect, to live a life that honors God. But because of our rebellion, we turned away from God and ate from the forbidden tree. And the Bible calls that sin. And because of that, the man was, was, was cast away from the presence of God. And there was no way by which man can again be reconciled to God. And in Genesis 3, verse 15, that promise that the seed of the woman will come, who will then crush the serpent's head, that's an exact direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will then reconcile us to God. And that is why in the Gospel of Mark, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. In the Old Testament, all those lambs that were killed on the day when the angel of death came, those that smeared the blood of the lamb in their doorposts, and the angel of death passed on, that was a direct focus. That was a direct shadow of what the Lord Jesus Christ will do on the cross to turn away the anger of God from us, to pass away from, uh, for God to pass our sins so that we can be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, 
Verse 6, it talks about this suffering servant who will be crushed for our iniquity. That's a direct reference again to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it makes sense now when Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come, repent and believe. Because that is what Jesus has come to do, dear brothers and sisters. Exorcisms. He can assign that to his people. Healings. He can assign that to his people. Supernatural works. He can assign these to his people. But there's one thing that requires God himself that cannot be assigned to any man. And that is to be reconciled to God. It requires only one man. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ who is both fully God and fully man. Dear brothers and sisters, that is why Jesus came. He came to do that which no one can do. He came to do that which no apostle can do, no prophet can do, no animal can do. But he came to fulfill that one thing that every man needs, and that is to be put right with God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life of obedience that satisfies God, he died on the cross for us. So that now when we turn from our sins and repent and turn from our sins, God forgives all of our sins. His imputed righteousness is accredited to us. So when God looks at us now because of what Christ has done on the cross, he looks at us as though we've never committed any sin. That's the gospel, dear brothers and sisters. That's the gospel that the people here in America needs to hear. That's a gospel that my people back home needs to hear. That God has made a way by which we can be reconciled to him. Friends, I've never come across a verse in the Bible that says, there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner drives off a car dealer with a brand new BMW. Never come across a verse in the Bible that there's rejoicing in heaven when a sinner moves into a beautiful mansion in a posh suburb. But friends, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Turn from their sins and trust in Christ. Because that's what Christ has come to do for us. So friends, this has a few implications for us. There's a few implications for us as a church has a few implications for us individually. First, I'm so grateful for this church. Uh, Of the churches that are supporting us, four churches that were mentioned, this is the smallest church. But the partnership and the togetherness that we have in the gospel, not only financially, not only in terms of sending visitors, but knowing that this church is praying for us every week to do what? so that we can proclaim this message of the cross to all the people. For that, dear brothers and sisters, we praise God for that. Because every time a sinner in escort turns from their sin upon the proclamation of the gospel, you also get to rejoice with us. For that, dear brothers and sisters, we want to praise God for that. But also, what does it mean for us personally? It also means that the gospel should take root in our lives. We should put the lens of the gospel in everything that we do. What is happening in our country or in this country politically, we as Christians have to put the lens of the gospel to see what is happening there. 
because we have one who's sitting on the throne who's controlling everything. Things can go terribly wrong, even in our country, but we know who's sitting on the throne controlling, sovereignly controlling everything. That helps us to have a right perspective to see things as God sees them. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He came to save us from our sins. He came to reconcile us to God. And he came to reconcile us all to one another. Let's do that joyfully until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time and for this opportunity that I've heard to briefly, Father, share about what the Lord Jesus Christ has come. We thank you, Father, that this is not a myth, this is not a made-up story. The Lord Jesus Christ did come in the flesh, and he came to fulfill this one purpose of reconciling us to you. So we thank you, and we pray that our hearts will be warmed, our hearts will be steered towards the gospel in everything that we do. That the nations of the world in South Africa, here in Winchester and everywhere, that the nations of the world will turn from their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For that, Father, we pray that you will do that by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.